Central Michigan Pool Against Unite. This is the CMU Touchline Talk Podcast with Cody Devona and Neil Roseanne. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of CMU Touchline Talk. I am Neil Roseanne, your host, joined here by Cody DeBona and CMU women's soccer head coach Peter McGahee. Cody and Peter, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Peter? I'm very well. Thank you guys very much for having me. It's a, it's a nice, bright, and early morning, and it's a great time to talk some soccer. It's not our usual time, but a very special edition here. We'll be talking some CMU women's soccer as well as some Women's World Cup. Very exciting um, thanks once again for taking time out of your very busy schedule um, to talk with us here. But um, we'll just start. We'll just start. It's the off season. Um, just what is the spring off season like for your team? I know it's probably not as busy as a regular season, but just how is how is the spring um, kind of conducted? The spring season for the NCA is what we call our non-championship segment. It's broken up into two or three segments, depending upon how you break out your hours. We have a eight-hour segment where we are able to do a lot of conditioning and uh, physical work and a limited amount of technical work and instruction, and then an expanded 20-hour uh, a week where we can basically train the team, have five competition dates, and really sort of get after it in sort of a simulated fall setting. Our 20-hour a week... 20-hour uh, weeks just wrapped up last week, and we just moved into our eight-hour segment to, to end of the semester. So that's sort of the NCA rules and how we are able to train our team. Coach, how do you go about scheduling um, these games in the spring? I know you, you've been playing a lot of uh, different teams that you wouldn't normally see in uh, the championship series. Some of it is you look at a couple of things. One is, is you're looking at creating uh, learning experiences in a learning environment for your team that's going to challenge them. Uh, take them again outside their comfort zone, allow us to see some different pictures than we may see in the fall, particularly during the uh, <clears throat> the max season. But I also think it's important to schedule some good teams. I think all of the college teams that we played this season, or two of the three college teams we played this season, uh, were NCAA tournament teams. So that's, mm -hmm. that's a level that we're aspiring to, so you want to create that challenging environment. Also, you're playing two Big Ten teams, you're playing a women's semi-pro team, you're taking advantage of being able to schedule an international team. So a, a lot of diverse learning experiences, setting the bar high, and then always trying to have an element of where you're going to be able to be successful. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, moving on, that was my next question. Um, I saw you guys played Motor City FC. Um, could you talk us through that game, and was it different than playing any other NCAA team? I think it's interesting. It's uh, Motor City FC interesting in the sense that it's – sort of a semi-pro women's league team and it's made up of call women who are college graduates so and who were top-end players uh, when they were here again for example Stephanie Martin and Claire Horton who were two extremely talented players and alumni here from CMU played on that team and they play a little differently they try to play the game doesn't quite go as fast it's not quite as hectic of pace the decision making is a little bit sharper and I think those are kind of lessons that you want to be able to put into your team and really when you're able to have uh, other high-level women athletes be able to do that it's really it creates good uh, role modeling and good examples for our team. Mm -hmm. uh, looking at some other alumni, last season you graduated Laura Goss, Emily Cooksey, and Jennifer Bia Gassman. Uh, they combined for 12 of uh, the team's 18 goals. Uh, I know that you're not a coach that likes to look at just looking 
who's going to replace this player, who's going to replace this player, but how is the team going to be able to maybe overcome that deficit of uh, maybe scoring um, when it comes time to uh, games this fall? See, Neil, that's why I like you guys, because you guys are always willing to bring up those stats that <laughs> so I don't spend my time <laughs> spend my time looking at. I appreciate that. Uh, I guess I'd never quantified that, that we had lost that many goals, so thanks for stressing me out in, uh, in the middle of April. Uh, I, I think the reality is is that you're never looking to replace players, and I think those three players individually and collectively represent a really unique history in our program. I, I think the reality is is you're going to try to make sure that it becomes a collective effort. I think you're going to stylistically evolve the team to create uh, – chances in, in, in a different way, and you're going to hope that um, some players who are on the roster, who we have seen now, will grow, sort of sometimes when the stage when the stage opens up a little mm-hmm. bit, other people can step forward to that, and, and we are hoping that the, some of the young chips that we have are, are willing to, I, I don't necessarily think that, that, that you're going to say that any one of them is going to score 12 goals individually, but I think you have some attacking personalities in our incoming class that are going to be able to augment what we have, and I, I think I feel fairly comfortable with that, actually. Speaking to one of the players that you have right now, um, a player that really impressed us last season, Kaylin Corte, she was able to score uh, three goals off of uh, 14 shots and was an intricate part of the midfield. Uh, how important is uh, she to um, this year's team's success? I think KK, KK will be um, one of the seniors. Uh, I think she'll be a player who has a good amount of... Uh, playing experience I think again I think in sort of now we've had KK now this will be our third year the understanding about what KK's strengths are and how we're able to capitalize on those things to a greater degree will be will be critically important uh, so we'll, we'll be certainly counting on her in the fall. Coach moving on with that um, I, I saw you starting 11 against uh, Valpo and it looked as though you had three outside backs or uh three in the back, rather, and I know last year you tried to emphasize the outside backs moving up on the flanks. Um, is this you just kind of, kind of trying to figure out where each player goes um, on the team? Uh, no, not necessarily. That uh, Again, I hope all our opponents aren't listening, but we put out that lineup <laughs> just in case someone who was looking, that's not actually how we played. Uh-huh. So the 3-5-2 that we showed on the lineup sheet wasn't necessarily what we rolled out with, but it certainly provided a tactical advantage and even confused the members of the media. So it sort of it sort of served its purpose in, in that, in, in that uh, sense. But, I mean, we, we have stayed with our uh, basically the four-back set, and I think that will be primarily how we'll move forward. Um, whether we get as cute with our lineup sheets moving into the fall, I don't know. Uh, but I think our emphasis about getting forward, I think, is really important. I think one of the things that we have been talking about this spring is being able to generate that width in the attack, both from wide players and our wide backs, without exposing ourselves to the counterattack. We felt like on reviewing the season last year, there were times where we were, we were able to move our outside backs forward, but at times then we left ourselves very vulnerable mm-hmm. into that space behind those outside backs to get counterattacked into. So we've now been trying to find a better balance between getting the basically what we would call our two and our three pushed into the attack and be, being able to defend their positions. Mm-hmm. So it's an exciting time here for CMU uh, women's soccer, with especially with the mid September uh, proposed, hopefully, hopefully it'll be complete. Your new home, the lacrosse and soccer complex, hopefully it'll be complete by mid-September. Um, will the team be making the move at that time, or will you guys be staying at your uh, current home, or is that still up in the air? I think it's still a little bit in flux, Neil, in terms of what is there. 
what you want to make sure is, is that when you're taking on a construction project of that size and it's going to be the permanent home of both the new lacrosse program and our program, you just want to make sure everything is sort of exactly right. I think there is a good probability that we may be in there for some of our max season, mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's always with the construction project and these uh, wonderful Michigan Springs, <laughs> you sort of have a little bit of un un unpredictability mm -hmm. that you want to sort of a little bit hedge your bet. So we'll open up the season, I know, on the Bennett Track Field, and then if that, uh, the new stadium, the yet-to-be-named stadium opens, then our, our hope is that we would migrate in that direction. Uh, and then it'll it'll be laid with uh, synthetic turf. Now, I know that your team is not really uh, a stranger to that, especially with the IAC having that synthetic turf, but uh, how will that maybe, I know this is really far in advance, but how would that maybe change the way your team plays? Cause I know that the surfaces between grass and that are very different, just how, how the balls, the bounce, uh, how it rolls and the bounces, so. I, I think it'll, it'll, it'll impact it in a couple of ways. One, I think, is, is we have a little bit more familiarity with one, and it'll be uh, something that we'll have to figure out in another. I think that there's going to be a fatigue factor that is going to come from the turf that that we're going to have to learn and figure out how does it impact how does the, how do the women recover playing on that surface much again some of the things that they're having the conversation at the women's world cup mm -hmm. this summer uh, so we'll have to sort of figure out how that impacts us the other place will be is is the game is going to be uh faster it's going to be played again at times where the ball is going to as you've mentioned it's it's going to the speed of the game can pick up so i think interestingly enough i think that that actually suits the style of play that we would like to play. So I think that it's going to become a win-win for us. We're going to get a really wonderful surface with lights, some really cool amenities for the fans, for us, to be able to create a really cool environment. And I think then the turf is going to set up in a way to be able to play our passing and pressing style in a different way than you would be at Bennett. For example, if Bennett, when you play playoff games in Bennett or you play MAC games late in the season, and it's rained, Bennett can become a he re relatively heavy grass surface. Mm -hmm. That's hard if you're a team that's now predicated on being able to run and pass and press and play sort of the way we are. You actually can bring, the, the pace of the game can go down. And, and with the synthetic surface, we're going to no longer face that, mm -hmm. that issue. You're going to have others, but you're no longer going to face that one. Coach, um, we all know that a lot of coaches have little suspicions, traditions, like Sir Alex Ferguson chewing gum every every single game. Is there any pregame tradition or some kind of like music you listen to before a match? I like to eat an apple. Okay. And my, <laughs> and my mechanical pencil cannot be the same color as the team that we're playing. Speaking to maybe some of more of that, hopefully we didn't stretch you out with our questions no, before like, here I about like the season too much. I mean, but like see, all over. But see, we're going to kind of maybe – I know last season – uh, it was very stressful. He got right down to the end there, um, still having a chance. Just how maybe did you or how do you unwind after a season maybe such as that? Or are there any, like, just how do you unwind after taking on a uh, D1 collegiate season? Um, I think sometimes you got to try to find a little bit of balance in terms of I spend a lot of t I try to spend more time at home. I try to walk my dogs. I try to sort of not think about it too much, which is nearly impossible in terms of how women's <laughs> soccer is set up. That basically you move from the end of the season into the recruiting cycle. Um, I think sometimes it takes almost until this time of year to put into context uh, what happened last season because what happens is, is that at the end of last season, you leave with uh, a lot of emotion. You leave with a lot of excitement, a lot of thrill, a lot of being really proud of your, your student athletes in terms of what they've accomplished. And then you leave with questions. Some of those questions begin to get answered 
this spring. But then as you sort of even unwind is, is you're unwinding to wind up again. So you're having more questions answered in the spring and then you're starting to look forward to uh, next fall. Uh, it's one of those things I think it's, it always ends one game or two games too soon. Mm -hmm. As I said to the team, even at the end of the fall, you always wish you won one more game, mm -hmm. got along a little bit better, played with a little bit better chemistry, always. And sort of the familiarity of that, sort of you sort of just come up with a routine. No, 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 no nothing special, nothing, surpri no, 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 nothing surprising. Mm -hmm. And then just during the off season, do you do you take any time to watch any soccer? Maybe any little English Premier League or Champions League? But, uh, I, I, I would say I, I, I enjoy my, as a, I am a passionate fan. I wish I could take every afternoon, <laughs> as some college students would, to watch every Champions League game. <laughs> for example, but I would say I watch a fair amount of that stuff. I do like our women's national team. I like. I wish you were able to find more of our NPSL, WSL teams on, on not online but on TV. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's. Uh, I, I try. I try to keep my passion for the game alive. You said that women's national team was one of your favorite teams. We're discussing them here in a bit. But do you have maybe any other club teams that are uh, special to you? Maybe in the MLS, English Premier League, or anywhere else? Um, I, I guess I would say, uh, being from Colorado, you're you're naturally a you know at times a, a, Ra a Rapids fan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you just have grown up there. I was in the transition from I was actually a statistician for the Rapids mm -hmm. early in their uh, in their coming about in, in, in not, when they were found in 96. So 96, I think, for even three years I was there. So that's sort of near and dear to the heart just because you were there when it started. Um, you, you sort of cheer for some of your players that you've coached at various places. Um, Connor Casey, who is now, I believe, at Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And I, I coached him in high school and when he was 12 years old. So that's kind of neat. And we grew up about yeah four blocks apart <laughs> in the same city so you cheer for some of those English Premier League wise I think I'm sort of a, a, a trendy sort of uh, nobody that I'm sort of wearing their jersey or those things I, I enjoy Man U I always have um, uh, Ferguson I, I enjoy now Van Gaal but my mentor was Dutch so sort of you have to sort of feel like you have to mm -hmm. uh, Southampton <laughs> I quite enjoy what they do with their youth and I like how you are every team that, plays. I, uh, that I enjoy. That's good. So, so you have a, you have good vision. So Neil, what what happens? What, what's up with you? Oh, well, I I try not to stay too biased, um, just because I'm looking to go into the you know soccer media area. But we both love the Seattle Sounders for the MLS. Just what the community they've been able to grow there. Uh, always been partial to London clubs. So either Chelsea, Arsenal, mostly Arsenal and Chelsea. You know, just those two. And then uh, definitely my biggest. I love Dortmund, so they're really down this year. But Jurgen Klopp, he's leaving. We'll touch on that. We'll touch on that another <laughs> this morning. Day. That was yeah. a, that was a, like yeah. a, like breaking news. Yeah, 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 we'll, yeah we'll, we'll, podcast yeah, this we'll, morning. We will touch uh, that on a different <laughs> podcast. But I love them. Love uh, Marco Royce and just how they were able to organically once again grow it. I'm I'm really about the culture. So any real cultures, I just I just love it, which I know is kind of fit with, with some at least the uh, London teams seems mm. not so organic. But I just love the culture pretty much for me. So it's great. Um, but yeah, uh, totally with Cody being with the same teams as him, I was just laughing. It was funny because we spoke about uh, the Colorado Rapids earlier this season. They hadn't scored a goal yet, and we talked some major trash about them saying that how they wouldn't be able to <laughs> score until like May, and then they went and scored four goals. Yeah, you guys weren't very far off. Like it was like you were only like two weeks off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they had three games to pull it out. I mean, maybe it was Pablo's mustache. Yeah, that, that that's actually a really good chance. I yeah. think that's a classic mustache. I was like, if there's anything going right for that team so far, <laughs> it was that. But hey, now they might 
they might be able to spur onto the rest of their season. But um, I we'll we'll get into the women's World Cup here. Obviously, a couple days ago, the women's national team roster for uh, the U.S. was announced. No really big surprises. Uh, it was just how you wanted, uh, just pretty much how everyone expected it to, but uh, come out. But uh, U.S. got really far in the 2011 edition of the tournament, um, downed by Japan in penalties in the final. It was very rough. I know that was a rough year just to watch that for me. But um, now it's going to be a fascinating group for the U.S. They have Sweden, Australia, and Nigeria, maybe the hardest group in the entire World Cup. But uh, how do you like the um, national team's chances going into the, this year's tournament in Canada? I, you again, as a as a fan, you're always sort of cheering for your home team, but I think it's not without. Again, somebody told me once that when you sort of move into this business, you sort of are able to cheer a little bit, but I've sort of checked my fandom at the door. I, I think the team has real potential. I think I expect fully expect them to get out of their group. Uh, I would even expect them to say that we would want to come out of our group as a group winner. I think that would be fair to say for the for the talented team. I think they have a nice mix of um, old older players. I mean, I was looking at the roster yesterday, and it's amazing that, that Christy Rampon, I believe, is in her fifth World Cup. <laughs> yeah. fifth. And you start adding it up that those are cycled on every four years. So that means there's like 20 years, like a good 18 or 16 years in between this one and this. You know, in terms of how it's cycled for her, like that that's mm-hmm. that, that that's sustained excellence. I think that they have a good blend and, and a good opportunity. Now, whether they're a favorite after that, uh, I think we could we could certainly chat about that, but I fully expect them to get out of their group, and I'd expect them to be group winners. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously have world-class uh, forwards, and we have great midfielders, but um, my question was, we don't have the best defenders. D- do you think defending is the first step to winning a World Cup? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the reality is, is you, if you, as we painfully know from last season, <laughs> you can dominate ball possession, you can even create more chances, and if you don't score, you end up losing 1-0. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I, I'm not sure that defending is the Achilles heel necessarily. I just think that it, it potentially, the, the team, other than solo, sort of lacks star power in terms of in those back four. But I, I do think that the, the construction... Um, and I think the back four that she has settled on, I, I do think that there's an interesting thing that's going to come in terms of how that back four is going to be constructed. I think she knows who her back five are. Mm-hmm. But I, the, the curiosity is, is Krieger is definitely the best right back. Klingenberg definitely has played in, in terms of the lead-up games the best as the left, best left back. Sauerbrunn will play. Solo will play. Now the question is, is can Rampone push out Julie Johnson who has sort of shown such good form in these run-up games Mm -hmm. with sort of is that experience going to be what carries the day for the U.S. So I think it's it's a place of where it may be an under-the-radar strength. Mm -hmm. See, yeah, I was a little bit worried about the uh, defense a a few uh, months ago, especially with that 2-0 loss to France, in France given, but still uh, it was very surprising to see them just be it, it was almost uncharacteristic. Once again, Hope Soul was not playing in that match since then. Um, pretty much since then, they've outscored teams eleven to one in their last five matches. I think Hope Solo, you gotta, you know that she's your number one. She's just gotta mm-hmm. s- stay out of trouble for these last. Please stay out of trouble. No more drama <laughs> for the last few months here, so that they can play. So you can um, 
play in that because they are a totally different team. She can control that back line. It just it seems like the back line is more organized when she's there. They're more uh, used to her voice, and I just think that she is the more skilled goalkeeper overall. But um, what team in the uh, rest of the field of the World Cup scares you the most, though? I'm asking this to both of you. Just what teams out there that's maybe lurking that's scaring you the most? As much as I don't think Japan is as, as good as they were the last World Cup, they they have a special place in my heart because they knocked us off in probably the worst fashion that you could have lost in the uh, World Cup final. Uh, so for that heartbreak, I'm going to say Japan again. I'll go with two. I really think people ca- you cannot underestimate the talent of the Germans, and I think France is for real. Mm-hmm. I think that the talent of their attacking players, the fluidity of which they're playing, you're, you're seeing even, a, 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 I think it was, the 2-0 result that you referred to before, right before Argyle Cup was, I think, a fair result based on that game. And I think that's a place of where I think the French, if they come in and can manage the moment, manage the moment of the World Cup, uh, I, I might say that, that, though I will be cheering for the U.S., that that's a team that you're going to have to cr- cross paths with mm-hmm. sooner rather than later. And and I haven't looked at how the bracket would have to set up, but mm-hmm. that goes back to how you play in your group. Yeah. You want to make sure you try to get the French as far into the tournament as you can, and you don't like catch the French in the se- in, right. in the in the in the quarterfinal mm-hmm. or the semifinal before you're sort of playing for all the marbles. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I definitely have to say German Germany scares me the most just because they're always there. You look at the rankings, U.S. Pretty much it's just it's been U.S. and them at one and two trading off at certain points. They're at one right now. And, you know, they, they just seem to have a good um, setup there, both men's and women's, and I just think that they're always going to be a threat as long as we're around. Those are the two titans that you look for, so uh, hopefully them traveling across the Atlantic will lessen the effect of how maybe good <laughs> that they'll be, but who knows? It'll definitely be an exciting Women's World Cup. i got to ask, do you, have any, <laughs> do you have any wagers maybe? I know, I know Laura Goss is... Uh, Canadian, maybe got a little rivalry there. I, I would say to you, the the friendly rivalries are fine. NC rules prevent me from betting on any oh. sporting. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. World class coach we got here. Hey, yeah. absolutely, you got to follow the rules. Hey, <laughs> yeah, you got to follow the rules, of course. But um, <laughs> yeah. So other than that, um, how, you, you talked about maybe we'll come back to the, uh, our women's team here. But you're talking about building that fan culture. The fan culture uh, seemed to be. Uh, definitely growing near the end of last season. Uh, just mm-hmm. how how are you uh, feeling about maybe the fans coming into this season and uh, maybe a message to anybody to come out and uh, see your team this fall? I think it's a couple things. I think one is is I think that the Women's World Cup will introduce the game in a really cool way mm-hmm. to another set of future fans. People will see it on TV. You'll see see, hear, see it on Sports Center. You're going to see fans. You're going to see soccer fans. And I think sometimes that that's a place of where having educated soccer fans that you can sing, that you can yell, that there's not sort of first downs and three-pointers and those things and how fans interact with the game. And I always think that the World Cup is a great opportunity to catch some passion. I think the neat part about, as you referred to before, about the new stadium is you're going to have lights. So once you sort of get those lights working and those things, you'll be able to have some Friday evening games, which I think will create a buzz mm-hmm. and I think should increase our fans. And again, if you've been out to any of our games this spring, even in our indoor one, this thing, the, the Maroon Mayhem that started last fall has done a fabulous job of coming out and 
uh, drumming and singing along have really created a cool environment that I think they're looking excited and, and we're really appreciative of their efforts and, and certainly look forward to continuing to have that maroon mayhem stamp on all of our home games. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have to say, you got to go out, soccer fans, uh, this fall, or you, um, and just experience it. I promise you, you won't be uh, you won't be disappointed at all. Got to support your local team. So, um, with that, um, thank you very much for joining us. I think that's all the questions we have for yeah, today. Yeah. But um, yeah, um, if you want to find me or Cody on Twitter, I am at at Neil and Sports. And uh, I am C Bones A C Bones with a Z. That Z, very important. We touch <laughs> on that every week with the Z. Thank you once again for uh, taking time out of your schedule to talk with us. And I uh, hope you have a productive uh, rest of the offseason here. And good luck to the upcoming season um, to you and your team. Great. Hey, thank you guys very much for having me. And fire up chips. Yes, fire up chips. We'll see you later. CMU Touchline Talk fans, uh, enjoy the soccer and have a great day, you guys. Thanks for listening.